Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live. This and every Saturday at this time, we have the privilege of having some good, important conversations about the moment we're in, the mission we're on, and more. I actually happen to be, if you've been listening the last few weeks, you know that I'm uh, living in the U.K. for this, uh, I, I want to say fall, but they say autumn over here. And, uh, and I'm actually in Scotland right now. Did you see how I tried to be a little Scottish there? It doesn't, doesn't sound anything like the Scots. But, but I'm actually here right now in Scotland. We're sitting... Uh, in the uh, well, in, in, in a meeting room here at Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, that's how they say it, Edinburgh, uh, Scotland, and uh, and I'm going to talk to introduce my guest in just a moment. But for those of you who aren't regular listeners, uh, I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm currently on sabbatical, but I'm normally the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, where I serve as a dean and professor uh, there at Wheaton. But for our conversation, most importantly, I get to be your host on Ed Stetzer Live. And if you're listening for the first time and you say, hey, this is really helpful and interesting, you can also go to edstetzerlive.com, a couple of clicks, subscribe to This as a Podcast, or listen on more than 150 outlets uh, on terrestrial radio uh, from coast to coast in the U.S. as well. Uh, so, And we have lots of fascinating conversations about different topics and uh, really excited about today's program because it comes from a place that I'm passionate about uh, as far as the topic, but also that we're getting to do this from Scotland. And and, and we're going to hear somebody with an accent. He's, he's actually not Scottish. He's English, but we're in Scotland. It's very confusing. We'll explain all that in just a minute. But let me tell you about Andy Patterson. He's the mission director for the FIEC, which means the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, just like it sounds. It's a, it's a fellowship, a working partnership of evangelical churches here in the U.K. I think there's actually some outside of the U.K. as well. No. There's not. I thought there was. Nope. Okay. That's, there's another group in Australia. Is that what it is? Different yeah, that's right. Okay. 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 So uh, before taking his current role, uh, Andy spent 24 years pastoring Kensington Baptist Church. It's a large inner city church in ethnically diverse area of Bristol in England. While at Kensington, he was involved in various church plants, cross-cultural work, and local community project. Uh, he has, until just recently, been spending half his time working for the FIEC, the other half working for Charlotte Chapel here in Edinburgh. And his new book that I have right here in my hand is called, like literally out this week, is called Ready, with a question mark, Ready Evangelism for Everyone. Thanks for joining us on the program. It's my joy. And congratulations on pronouncing Edinburgh, Edinburgh. correctly. I've, I've hardly ever heard an American do that. So well done. It's a first. <laughs> well, I, I tried. There's two places. I went to, I did a doctoral degree in Birmingham, Alabama. And so at Stanford University. And here it's Birmingham. Birmingham. So Birmingham and Edinburgh. And so we've had a lovely time. We spent a few days up here, Donna and I, and and so. But you're not. So your 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 father was a pastor. Your grandfather an evangelist. Scots, but you and it's you know you know we, in America, it's strange to us that you have four countries in one nation. I guess the UK is is a Wales, England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Uh, so we don't think in terms of like we have states, not countries inside the country. So how come you're an Englishman if you're because I say I'm Irish and I never lived in Ireland, but, you know, I'm of Irish descent. So aren't you a Scotsman? Uh, just because your dad's a Scot. Well, if I was ever good enough to play any international sport, I could play for Scotland through my dad. But the point was um, I was born in Cambridge where my father was pastoring. Uh -huh. My mother was an English girl that he had met when my grandfather was pastoring a church uh, in uh, a county called Essex. Yeah. So, yeah, upbringing is English, accent is English, and at times I need to apologize for that in Scotland. 
<laughs> so people can, like, I couldn't tell the difference much between the Scots. I mean, maybe someone from Glasgow, because they have a strong accent. But the I wouldn't have, I thought your accent was Scottish. So it, there's a difference between the two. Oh, yeah. English ears or British ears would yeah. have no problem. They would know immediately. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tuned in. It's ever, you know, in American South, we have different access than the Northeast. But, yeah. but okay. For, for a foreigner, I'm still learning all these things. So we're here actually at uh, Charlotte Chapel. And for those who are listening on Moody, we're on Moody, and then we have partners and affiliates, but we're all kind of connected. So those in our Moody family, uh, there's a connection between Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh and Moody Church. Not the, not the Moody Bible Institute, but the, well, connected too. But Alan Redpath pastored both Moody Church and here at Charlotte Chapel. And if people can't necessarily see where we are, we're in a city center kind of area. Tell a little bit about the church. Okay. Um, the church itself was established in 1808 by a guy called Christopher Anderson. In fact, his portrait looks down at us as we're doing Even as we speak. this interview, which is glorious. Uh, he was a businessman, uh, planted a church in what was a rough area, poor area. Uh, the church grew by God's grace. It, it certainly had its fits and starts, um, but was significantly used during the 1904 revival and knew considerable growth and had a variety of uh, great pastors, people like Graham Scroggy and Sidlow Baxter and Gerald Griffiths, who's still alive, and then uh, Alan Redpath, and uh, it was a guy called Derek Prime who succeeded Alan Redpath, and Derek was a, a superb pastor, very well known throughout the city. Fun. Now, I'm, I'm going to be preaching here tomorrow. I'm very excited about that and uh, looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm just trying to, even learning some about that's been helpful. Um, so you also then, you've been here for, I think you told me, four years here yeah, at this church? Yeah. And longer serving at the FIEC yeah. in and around evangelism and mission. So um, one of the things that I really hope in the course of our show today, we're going to talk some about, uh, we're, it's a very different world here. You know, your grandfather was an evangelist, thousands come to Christ. Uh, but this is very post-Christian now. You know, I just walked, I was over, I went to St. Giles, mm -hmm. um, you know, where John Knox preached and, you know, and, and also walked out and saw his, his grave marker in the yeah. parking lot. Um, but this is once a vibrant place of Christian faith and practice. I mean, Scotland, and not just once, but, but you could go back in the re-evangelization of Europe after the fall of Europe, uh, the book in America, How the Irish Saved Civilization, really was about, you know, Scotland and Iona and all those places. And then again, 100 plus years ago, but here it's, it's not the same as it is now. It's very post-Christian. Uh, very post-Christian. Yeah. Uh, folks would say, uh, when you look at the stats, it could even be qualified now as an unreached people group. Mm. Um, we would say that there's probably less than 1%, mm -hmm. maybe 1.5% being generous. Uh, the main church, Church of Scotland, has known cataclysmic uh, decline mm -hmm. as it's tried to go along and make itself friendly to the changing cultures of the age. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, it is a very secular uh, society in which we're engaging. And if I could say, I think that's fine. That, that's great. Uh, I think we've gone through a period where some of the nominalism of the past, where folks said they were Christians, that's gone. And I'm profoundly grateful for that because mm -hmm. at times it was used as an excuse. They'd had an inoculation of Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, but now they are happy to say, no, they're not Christians. Mm -hmm. And we are dealing with a generation that knows nothing really 
of the Bible. We don't have that resonance from the past that I think you would have in the States where you can draw on some sort of collective consciousness of Christian faith. Christendom has long gone. And I think that that in some ways, you know, when you go across the United States, it's it's complicated. You know, the American South is the Bible Belt. Uh, we're on we're on in New Hampshire, which has some of the lowest percentage of people who, who uh, call themselves Christian uh, and, and lower still of evangelical. And so some of the most secular parts of the United States might get closer mm-hmm. to what you're experiencing here. But if current trends continue, one to two percent Americans less per year identify as Christian. Uh, secularism is certainly on the rise. And so one of the reasons I was really excited about talking to you today is that you've written a book on evangelism, in a sense, from the future, is what, what I, I, we recently, John Dixon, who I think you know, John, yeah. uh, John recently joined our team at Wheaton College. We hired him from Australia. And I, I talk about hiring him from the future because as the world becomes the West, you know, by, by that I mean the, the world where we live in the England, UK, Scotland, and US, as it becomes more and more secular, uh, we still are called to share the gospel. So, so the, the title of the book, uh, it's published by the FIEC, is called Ready, with a question mark, Evangelism for Everyone. And that's kind of a key theme, is that everyone has this role. So I'll talk to us a little bit about that, because our listeners might say, well, that's my pastor's job or the evangelist's job or more. Yeah. The, one of the major purposes of the book was trying to make a distinction between evangelists and people who aren't evangelists, who are believers, who love the Lord Jesus and what their responsibility is. Uh, One of the things I've faced is that evangelists, some evangelists have said that everyone is an evangelist. Everyone should do what they do. Everyone should go out on the streets. Everyone should be distributing this, that, or or the other, going around the doors. Uh, And as I was working through that, I thought to myself, I find that personally unnatural. And then it was when I was looking particularly at Colossians 4 and reading a Dick Lucas commentary Mm -hmm. that he was able to make the distinction that I suddenly saw between uh, evangelists and our role, those of us who are non-evangelists, which is what I've called responsive evangelism. We're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, you know, now quoting 1 Peter Mm 3.15. So we have this uh, responsibility to be ready but not be guilty because so many of us are guilt shamed mm-hmm. that we don't do what right. evangelists tell us to do that actually we just put our heads in the holes mm-hmm. and think that's it. Whereas actually the wonderful thing is in the economy of God, each one of us can live delightedly under his lordship in the place he's called us to be and using every opportunity to live delightedly under the lordship of Jesus and expecting that in our culture, people are going to say, hey, what's that? What makes you tick? Why do you think that? And we're to be those who are ready then to respond to the opportunities that those questions present. Fascinating, fascinating. And as you call it, 1 Peter, we say 1 Peter, but 1 Peter 3.15. We say Isaiah. Isaiah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> we're going to come back there because that's a key verse throughout the book as well. And we're going to take your calls as well. Maybe you want to give us a call and and weigh in and join in the conversation. It's 877-548-3675. Here with Andy Patterson, 877-548-3675. We're talking about his brand new book, Ready Evangelism for Everyone. 
politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. You know, I was just listening to that promo, you know, which we recorded months and months ago, the Mark Sayers, and talking about the rise of secularism. You've already talked some about how the death of nominalism, that, you know, nominal Christian, gives us an opportunity for clear gospel proclamation. Now, I want to mention that we're we're talking about uh, Andy's book, and it's Ready, uh, Evangelism for Everyone. And actually, you can click on the link at Ed Setzer Live and, uh, and find the book there. And it's actually um, it's actually available for you can get all of it right there. So if you go there free, uh, you'll be able to find these resources as well. There's questions at the end of each chapter. You can uh, do these. You can use this for uh, for small group studies. It actually, does very well. It's structured very well for that. So again, uh, go to the webpage linked at edstetzerlive.com. It's the F I E C webpage, and you'll find that there. Okay, so we were talking some about the secular reality where we live, um, and we talked some about how the role of Christians is to be ready to give an answer. You know, Spurgeon, of course, there's a quote for everything from Spurgeon, but Spurgeon once said, every Christian is either an, a, a missionary or an imposter, which I get what he was saying. I actually don't think that's the way I'd phrase it. Um, and I think you kind of push back on there's not, it's not the missionary role, it's not the evangelist role. But all of us have a role in sharing the gospel. So you started talking about, you know, First Peter, one, one Peter, as you say. Um, and so that can be almost a passive verse. You don't take it that way. But that can be like, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to live my life, and if people ask me, I'll tell them. But you're saying it's more than that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Actually, my major verse would be, uh, I go to Colossians 4, verses 5 yeah. and 6 as yeah. well. And that actually begins by saying, you know, you've got to live such good lives. Um, it's, it starts with the life that earns the right to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are not mutually exclusive. You, you, we, we have to live in such a way as we should loving Jesus, Mm -hmm. loving his words, loving the fact that by his grace, we've been saved and rescued and understanding that we are failures. We are screw ups. If, if I can, I don't intend to offend anyone with English colloquialisms, but that's, that's how we are. And therefore the way we view others in their brokenness should be done with great sympathy. Mm -hmm. We should be great listeners to where people are coming from. People have stories and we need to form friendships Uh, looking at people, not as, gospel fodder Mm -hmm. you know someone that we can tick off and say great we've led them to christ but love them with the love of jesus whoever they are we we use the word tick off differently than you do in other words not just someone we're putting on a list that we've talked to yeah yeah right makes sense thank you so let me read the passage colossians 4 5 and 6 is be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always seasoned always full of grace seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone so um how is that not just waiting for them to ask to answer but also initiating and more talk to us about that in the evangelistic conversation yeah i think 
for example, in the book, there is a chapter on intentionality. Right, right. That, that when you live in this way, it, it's not a case of saying evangelism is uh, an option, as we're saying. It is right. something. I'm, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, one of the reasons why there are so few references to personal evangelism in the New Testament, it is actually the expectation. You know, did we ever teach our children to breathe? Mm -hmm. No, it's accepted. It's a given. And that's what happens with evangelism. Uh, it is expected that we will be those who, having been saved by God's outrageous grace at the cost of Jesus dying on a cross in our place, bearing our sin, taking our hell, taking our death, that should be overflowing naturally into every single area of life. And, and, and we avoid the ghetto. But we don't try and hook up all the time in our Christian gatherings. We want men and women to know this. So we'll be doing stuff, maybe uh, social groups, book clubs. And we call it am-dram societies, amateur dr dramatic societies, film clubs, you name it. We'll be engaged in that, but we will inevitably be doing that from a Christian perspective. I love doing a book club when uh, we used to live in Bristol because the whole thing was people say, and what do you think about this? And inevitably, as a Christian, I had a particular perspective. And that in turn then led on to further conversations. So all the time, as we live under the Lordship of Jesus, it is going to affect who I am, what I do, mm -hmm. and I should be expecting, I should be ready mm -hmm. for those questions that are going to come my way, that will ask more, that will maybe put forward some of the objections of the age. And I need to be ready as well to answer those. And one of the things we started with talking about, just the, how much more secular this environment and context is, and I think this is where a lot of our people uh, right now, you know, they might have kids or neighbors that are, that are not just one or two conversations away from the gospel. They're, um, they're, they're much more hardened in their secularism, like would be here. Um, you know, I remember, you know, I, I heard the gospel first. I grew up in a nominally, you know, we went to church Christmas and Easter. So I knew there was a God, just didn't think I could know him, knew he wrote a book, just didn't think I'd understand it. But I was like, not that, I mean, there was five conversations maybe, but I just had to understand here, people reject so many of those categories. And I think for a lot of people, that's some of the questions we'll probably get is, you know, my, my kids are, you know, very secular now, or my neighbor's, you know, an atheist or whatever it may be. And let me invite you as well to call, again, our number, because, uh, again, you may have questions about this, specific instances and situations, 877-548-3675. Again, 877-548-3675. So um, for, for having lived in the American South for a while, more the Bible Belt, it was basically just inviting to church, and everyone was expecting an invitation to church, even people who were didn't know the Lord. Chicago's different. Here it's way different. So wh where does the conversation start? Um, you mentioned some of the ways, some of the entrees into relationships, but how do you bring up the things of God in the midst of some of those relationships and contexts? I think, first of all, my perspective is I'm not going to probably lead someone to saving faith for them to pray the prayer as it were for them to commit themselves to Christ but rather I see that God has sovereign purposes so that there could well be a dozen or more conversations right. that you may have and, and and you may meet someone on the bus on your public transport you, you you may have a passing comment or conversation with someone and 
in the purposes of God. That just may be one of many links mm-hmm. that is dealing with some of the inject, uh, rejections and objections that they've had embedded in their consciousness, in their thinking. And what we are discovering is people are making micro decisions along the way. And at times in dealing with people, um, I, I remember a conversation I had when I was pastoring the church in Bristol. I remember a conversation with someone uh, three years before, and they were so far from the kingdom, had another conversation with them and I, three years later, and I said, I think you've become a believer. I think you're a follower of Jesus. And, and they had. It, it wasn't that black and white moment. Mm, mm. They had become regenerate, and for sure I think that was a moment in time by God's grace uh, but it was one of those micro decisions that led them to say, yeah, of course, Jesus is, is the way. He, he is the answer. I'm going to put my hope and uh, faith and trust in him. So uh, you, you, know, you, you use the opportunities. For example, one of the things we do is we, uh, where we live, we live in uh, a terraced road, uh, houses together. And I don't know what a terraced road is. What does that mean? Uh, so it's single dwellings okay probably two floors right a, a terrace is where they're joined to one another okay as opposed to a detached house okay or a semi-detached i don't know that house. we use that i think yeah. so kind of lined up what we might think like condos like you're attached to people you share a common wall yeah okay i got gotcha. you okay yeah, that sort of thing yeah, yeah. i've never understood condos that's yeah. fine <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for example one of the things we do is we put out a book box mm-hmm. and just say free books so please come take. take the books yeah and it's a selection of good fiction yeah. and a selection of good Christian books. Oh, interesting. And okay. if folks want to take one, fine. Yeah. There's been, for example, we had what was called a window wonderland. One of the things that our community did mm-hmm. was to, you decorated your front window, put the lights on, and people would wander around all these houses that had all their windows decorated. So we just did one that was, well, it was very sort of uh, Narnia-based, but it was there. It had an empty tomb. It had crosses. See, it had we, we like Aslan. Narnia. We can do Narnia too. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and and comes Christmas, yeah. we would go around our neighbours uh, and we would take uh, cards with us, uh-huh. invitations on the local community WhatsApp group. I would say, "Hey guys, I've just been down to the Van Gogh." exhibition but uh hey we're we're doing an art exhibition at our church why don't you pop along right. i'll be doing the same for our carol services that are coming up soon so it's just i will try and be intentional right, where right. it's appropriate yep. uh and we see what happens and what's interesting is some folks then come back to us and say oh that's interesting mm-hmm. you know uh, and see what god in his grace does Fascinating. so i when i was we we on this time state living in the uk this is our vacation day. So we came up here and actually holidayed a bit, as you would call it. And we went to Stirling Castle. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were at Stirling Castle, there was a tour going. Uh, not so much a tour. There were characters. Like, they were playing characters. You've mm-hmm. probably been there. And uh, this young lady was talking, and she was talking about the dour Calvinists that – and she was just talking about how, uh, you know, the, he was Catholic, and then the Reformation came, and then became Calvinist. And then she just kept going. And I was just listening and just talking about you can – and she says – you can see why this nation turned away from religion, just right there in the in the thing. And I, I, um, I, you know, I was just <laughs> I was a little surprised with the bluntness of yeah. it. Um, and so, so how do you? I mean, we don't have the same history. Where here, like, uh, you know, just going up to your 
Edinburgh Castle here. It's just, you know, these people killed these people in the name of religion, and then these other people came in and killed these people. So there's a there's an anti-religion kind of feel among many people. Is that making it impossible, or how do you how do you get past some of those objections in gospel conversations? Uh, yeah, they they say it's anti-religion, mm-hmm. but of course it's not anti-religion. It, it, what it is, it's another religion. Yeah, uh, there's other idols, there's other belief systems that they have put in place, and so uh, I would, on that more formal setting, mm-hmm. try and find the ways in to engage with them. Uh, and I think often when you have guides who are saying that sort of thing. We would often look for that opportunity just to get them to one side um, and rather than beat them up and leave yeah. them in a, 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 a blooded mess in the corner, we would try and just say, mm-hmm. hey, that's interesting. Why do you think that? Right. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but uh, otherwise, well, on, a, on a more personal level, I think what you would do, the less formal settings, is you would say, hey, how, how about let's, let's grab a coffee right. together. Right. I want to know your story. Tell me your story. How did you come to those conclusions? Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, we talk too much and listen too little. Right. And so often, my friends' objections are because of stuff that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And I need to understand that if I'm to appropriately respond. There's no point in me saying, ah, I'm going to give a defense right. of creationism, when actually that may not be where he's what there was in the conversation all right right yeah exactly so let me listen let me understand let me sympathize and empathize let me find ways of connection with this person where i can say hey i know what you're thinking about and i i think i know how you're feeling to some degree let's just talk Mm -hmm. further yeah andy patterson's our guest we're talking about his brand new book it's called ready evangelism for everyone if you go to the ed steps are live uh, webpage uh, at centrallive.com. You can click right through and actually download all the resources are right there. Uh, gift from the FIEC here in the UK as well. Uh, your calls. Maybe you're trying to talk to a secular friend, neighbor, child. Um, 877-548-3675 is our number. Again, 877-548-3675. Stay with us. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Okay, we're back. Ed Stetzer live. We've got Andy Patterson here. We're live from Scotland. I don't know why I feel it necessary. Because it doesn't sound Scottish at all when I do it, does it? Outside already. Just paying yes. for your blood. But never mind. <laughs> well, it's actually because we're actually here and we hear the tram go by. So this is, But this is what Americans think about. Like all these things in the UK. Trams going by, you know. Harry Potter on what is that nine and a half platform or things of that sort? I don't know, yeah. um, but that's what you know we th- we think of in terms of these contexts. But but you know what we're talking about today is just the how secular this context has become, um, and uh, and also too what that means for most of our listeners who are in places that are increasingly becoming secular, who are neighbors, who uh, as nominalism nominalism is the idea that you're in name only. So uh, nominal Christianity is in decline. That means secularism is taking its place. So people who maybe don't even have this notion that they should be in church or they should be more serious as Christians, it's just not, it's not an option. Yeah, but what we're finding interesting is yeah. you'd th- you would think with the uh, decline of formal mm-hmm. church going uh, that people would be free and enjoying their secular lifestyle. Spirituality is just as high 
it, that spirituality hasn't gone down. Mm. People still have this sense of something Interesting. bigger, something yeah. out there. And, and, and if I could say there's something for us to tap into mm -hmm. uh, there. Um, I, I, and most folks, uh, recent uh, studies done by Hope have revealed, most folks actually have some connections with Christians. So they come with their questions mm -hmm. privately now. Um, it, it's far more shameful to try and ask these questions. It's a bit, I suppose, like some uh, surveys, questionnaires that you have when an election is coming up, which may be topical for some of your folks. But when the pollster comes and says, who are you going to vote for? It may be shameful right. to say, I'm going to vote for a particular party. Right. So you, you don't say that. Mm -hmm. You, you may, might say the opposite. And we've discovered... Uh, in the UK, often people, when they're asked the question, are you a Christian or anything? No, 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 no. Because actually it is shameful. It's, it's less socially it's, it's, desirable. It yeah. can be bigotry. Right, right, it, okay. it can be have all those things attached right. to it. But actually the reality is on the inside, in the heart, there is something mm -hmm. going on. They would love to say more. And that's why we listen hard and we try and connect when God sovereignly gives us that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And you talk some about the, the hospitality as a key yeah. part of that. And, you know, one of the things we found at our work at the Wheaton College of Billy Graham Center is that hospitality is the way, way one person put it, you know, because we work at the Billy Graham Center is hospitality in a sense is the new crusade. It's the thing that you invite people to. So talk to us, a little, explain more what you mean by the role of hospitality in this evangelistic work. Yeah, uh, obviously there have been some great books, Rosaria Butterfield and a friend of ours, Carolyn Lacey, has uh, written on the subject. And what I found important is as a boomer coming from a sort of a white middle class background, hospitality meant entertaining people. Right. It meant the nice meal. You got good cutlery out, you know, and you, you sat down in this more formal environment, which is incredibly off-putting. The hospitality that they are advocating and I think is so healthy and helpful is, is far more spontaneous, mm -hmm. far more real. Uh, and it doesn't matter how your house look, what looks. What matters is that you really love this person and you find ways to express this in practical ways. Uh, so if you have an opportunity with your friend, with your neighbor, with your colleague to say, hey, do you want to pop in for a coffee or do you want to pop in for a meal? And you give them something very basic. You're not going to give them a full three course dinner. You're maybe going to, I, you know, again, I don't know what would be the uh, American equivalent, but, you know, for us, <laughs> a basic meal would be something like beans on toast. <laughs> and, and, that's, and, and that's fine. Right. And actually people appreciate uh, authentic love in that way rather than the more pretentious entertaining mm -hmm. that we used to do interesting interesting so so then in those hospitable relationships uh they build they they, they grow uh, but the part of the challenge is is that um religious and irreligious people often don't have some of the biggest things in common so, you know, here you're, you're into the sports, right? So we, we got uh, tonight is a big rugby match with the, the Welsh and it's playing somebody. Uh, and, uh, and then tomorrow here in Scotland is a, big, is a big. And so that's a commonality. So how do you find bridges of commonality um, with people who may very different views of the faith, which is so central to our lives? And how does that bridge into hospitality? Commonality, hospitality, how are they really? Yeah, I, I actually think there are massive bridges that, that, that we, we can build. Um, suffering is one of those. We maybe tend to avoid the whole question of suffering because we think, well, that's a hard one for us apologetically. But actually, 
we've suffered, our friends have suffered, let, let, let's talk about this, let, let's work this through. Let me use that as an opportunity to point to the God who sent his son to suffer on Calvary's cross, the one who does bear our punishment, the one who brings justice into the world, the one who is uh, preparing for his just kingdom. Uh, often when you're working in poorer areas, uh, the church I pastored in Bristol was an inner city church, area of great deprivation. Uh, and one of the ways that you would float in the gospel, if I could put it like that, was mm -hmm. to talk about the injustice that people feel, mm -hmm. how they've been oppressed, uh, and actually to float in on that uh, some of the great hopes of the gospel, uh, the great truths of the gospel, the great fact that Jesus Christ was the one who cared for justice and integrity, uh, and point out some of the uh, amazing mercies and grace that we, we find in him. So actually, that's why I come back to listening to your friend, taking time, maybe over a meal, maybe over a coffee, to talk with that friend and try and get to the heart of issues with them. How are they doing? What are they thinking about? And uh, when we hear their story, I think we will find so many different ways that we could connect generally speaking right. generally speaking right not for everybody but there yeah. are yeah. and you you talk about listening hard yeah you know i like that phrase tell us more about why that's important let me let me remind people though that we're talking to andy patterson uh, his new book is ready evangelism for everyone you may have questions about how to engage your neighbors, particularly, uh, you know, and Andy's living in a much more secular environment, but, you know, that's generationally, you know, younger generations are much more secular than older in America today. It's also regional. So if you want to call in, you've got questions or comments, our number here is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. We don't think of evangelism as listening, Andy. We think of evangelism as telling. Mm -hmm. So how do those relate? You can only tell uh, someone, not what they want to hear, but you can tell something that's going to meet the issue uh, that they have been addressing. So hence, uh, I will listen hard. What, what maybe is the objection that they're going to raise with me? There are some objections which are just what I call fig leaf objections. You know, it's just to get get off, get off my case, mate. Right. Um, I... I I, I'm not interested. Here's my objection. I haven't actually thought it through. Right. But it's just one of those right. objections. And you see it as a fig leaf mm -hmm. objection. Um, but there are other people who will have deeper things. It, it, it may be the issue of suffering. It may be their mm -hmm. upbringing. It may be cancer. It may be a loss of a child or issues like that or the way that they have been treated. Uh, and particularly in our broken society today, fractured families have had such a massive impact upon people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to pick that up. Uh, and understand that. And it may be that they are, are coming to us from the way that society thinks and saying, you are representing an oppressive structure. You are bigots. You're telling us that there's only one way to Jesus Christ. You have particular views on sexuality that society might find objectionable. So why would we talk to a bigot like you? And I think we have to listen hard to work out uh, where it is we're going to come from, right. how we're going to appropriately respond to that friend. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the best evangelism is done in the context of those um, 
that listening, those relationships, and more. Um, so I think all those things point us to a different and a better way to share the gospel. Again, Andy's book is Ready with a Question Mark, Evangelism for Everyone. We're taking your calls as well. Uh, got one more segment. Your call's at 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Maybe you got questions about reaching the next generation, secular context, and more. 877-548-3675. Okay, we're continuing our conversation with Andy Patterson. This is Ed Stetzer Live. Um, remember, if you want to get the book, it's available free, actually, at the edstetzerlive.com website. You'll click through, take you over the FIEC website, and it's there. Uh, we're talking to Andy about, again, his new book is Ready with a Question Mark, Evangelism for Everyone. So we're talking about sharing the faith, and we got a call related to that. So let's go live to Morgan. Morgan, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. Um, my question is that I've been married for 18 years to my husband, who I love dearly, and he does love me, and he's a good man. But he, mm -hmm. there's, he just doesn't—he wasn't raised as a believer at all, and— he, um, it's just really hard to not, I don't know how to sort of, what I can do in terms of, I pray daily <laughs> mm -hmm. and try mm -hmm. to surrender him to Christ, but um, it's still hard. And I, I any suggestions yeah. about like what direction to go in or... Well, I love, I love that you're even asking this question, Morgan, and, and, you know, this is, this is not an uncommon question. So I'm sure over the years, many times you've uh, shared through some of this. Andy, what do you think? Well, first of all, thank you, Morgan. Uh, brilliant question and can hear your heart in the question as well. Just to say, by way of background, we have two kids and one of our kids, our eldest, our 40-year-old daughter, isn't yet a believer. Mm -hmm. And probably there's been nothing more painful in our own experience than uh, the fact that she hasn't yet come to faith in Christ and uh, it is those relationships that, that break the heart. I, I, I'm Morgan, in the space of uh, a radio response, um, you know, there is no, you, you know, uh, there is no magic bullet here. But what I would say is go on doing what you're doing. At times, you can be the last person who can speak into your husband's life. It is so hard when someone is so close. I think what you... Now, again, for, for, forgive me, I, I, I hesitate to give advice, but go on doing what you're doing, loving your husband, love him well. And uh, in that context of your sacrificial, faithful love, look for opportunities to respond. And it may be that it, rather than face him up to things, ask questions. I think asking questions is one of the best things we could do. Um, Asking questions is not uh, attacking. It opens up. It's a general, genuine inquiry. So go on loving him and being a godly, gracious example to him. Ask questions. And when maybe the opportunity arises, be, be ready to speak of the hope that you have in Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. And, and, and Morgan, thank you for your call. And, and you know, having you know, been a pastor... You know, I've seen sometimes decades, uh, I've also seen people actually respond and become mm. followers of Jesus mm. and that, that, uh, that believing spouse yeah. um, continuing to grow in grace and godliness 
uh, maintaining the deep loving relationship that she sounds like she she yeah, has yeah. Uh, are all key parts um, of that. Let me remind you that if you want to uh, jump in with a question, we've got a little bit of time left, 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. One of the phrases you used earlier is you talked about getting out of the Christian ghetto, mm-hmm. the ghetto being this place of concentration where where anyone might be. That's historic use of the term. Um, so how do, how do we do that? Because, I mean, it's very easy to build your whole life around your Christian friends and family and go from there. Yeah. And it used to be evangelism was get the people into the building. Right. Get them to hear the professional. Uh, and I think that's been unhelpful because evangelism, making Christ known, is actually done where we live. Uh, and therefore, I want to... Uh, be someone who's going to use those opportunities and I want to make sure I have those opportunities. That's why, for example, in the church here at Charlotte Chapel, we've introduced a simplified calendar. Mm -hmm. We've tried to clear out part of our week so that people can do just that. Because at times, churches feel almost an obligation to put on a program for every sort of person on every evening of the week. And you could go on living in this ghetto, going to Christian meetings meeting with christians whereas what we need to do is be uh, living interfacing with those who don't know the lord jesus christ going to the societies the book clubs the uh, amateur dramatic societies the sports clubs the films you know, you know we to get to know people mm-hmm. to live as someone who loves jesus in that context and then is looking for those opportunities to maybe invite for hospitality, mm-hmm. looking for those opportunities maybe to say something about the gospel of Jesus. An amateur, dramatic, what did you, society? Amdram, yeah. Amdram. I think we call that community theater. Yes. So, but amateur, dramatic. Amdram is Amdram's, Okay. Because you mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. again, Winston Churchill said we are, you know, two nations separated by a common language. Yes. So we're still learning that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but again, I think that's where, you know, you in the context of, you know, other people's relationships, you're, you're entering into that stream of the relationships that they already have makes such a difference. We just had James Davison Hunter speak at, uh, at Wheaton at an event we did, and he talked, he's talked about faithful presence, being present in community, but being faithful to the good news of the gospel in that context. Um, we've kind of practiced in a lot of churches an extraction you know, take them out of mm. rather than send them into. And that's a key part of your of your book. Again, the book is Ready, Evangelism for Everyone, is you talk about the church as community and how it engages community. Talk to me about the community part and how that relates to evangelism. God has put us as churches where we are to serve the communities where we are. And I think it's a legitimate question to say, how can we serve the community mm where we are. So if I could go use as an example, for example, the church I pastored in Bristol, uh, we, we looked, how can we serve this community? We, we uh, started a charitable trust that was working amongst uh, Somalis who had real educational needs. So we, we set up opportunities to teach and to train educationally uh, Somalis. We did work with the down and outs, working with a, a, a cafe there. We put together teams who would go and help folks, for example, if they needed a, a light bulb replacing or their lawn mowing. 
who would do that? How can we serve the communities? Some folks are, are better at these things than others. And we should recognize the church is a multi-gifted, multi-talented place. Not everyone is going to be articulate. Not everyone is going to be ready with an answer, though they should be. Uh, but others will fe- feel more at home doing some of those practical tasks that can show the love of mm-hmm. Jesus, which maybe then will lead to a question. Right. You know, why are you doing this? Why do you love me? Uh, which in this fractured age is uh, an immensely powerful question. And it starts that conversation. So, But a lot of people are concerned that if they're kind of running around, their churches doing good deeds and caring for the hurting, we're all, I mean, I think most people before mm-hmm. that, but doesn't that lead, some people might ask, away from gospel proclamation? Because you're, you're doing social deeds for good service, but where does the gospel fit in? Yeah, to me, that's, that's splitting categories. Okay. Um, we are living for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus loves people. We want to use words to say that. Uh, But until we can, as it were, use words to say that, we're going to be living uh, practically for Christ wherever we are. We're going to be good neighbors. Okay, and I think that makes a difference is the way we neighbor Mm -hmm. as well. And, of course, the connection I mentioned at the beginning between Moody Church and and, uh, Charlotte Chapel, uh, both known for engaging their community. A Moody on the side of the church, every Sunday I walked in for the four years as an interim, it said, ever welcome in this house, strangers and the poor. So engaging, hurting people is that opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. People seem open at that point of need. Yeah, yeah. Hurting people, Mm -hmm. um, some of the hardest to reach are actually the more affluent as well, who feel absolutely content. Why do I need this? Mm -hmm. Uh, And seeking to reach them and expose some of the emptiness. And actually to have some of our lawyers and well-off people Mm -hmm. doing service works. Again, it's a wonderful testimony to what's really important. Yeah, your church joining Jesus on mission in the community, mm-hmm. making that difference. So uh, last question, because I want people to kind of take away mm-hmm. something. So if I want to begin to be the kind of person who's sharing, give me you know, a little less than a minute on how I might begin opening the opportunities, opening the conversations. I would say get on your knees before Jesus. Love mm-hmm. Jesus. Know him better. Uh, let his love so fill your heart that it's going to naturally overflow and that you will have within yourself that passion, that desire to make him known so that you would then go about your day, even the, I mentioned in the book, even the direction you might walk to work, you do it with an intentionality. How can I connect with folks? I may not have someone stop me and say, hey, tell me about Jesus, but maybe over a period of time, Uh, links, connections are built up, which will give us the privilege of responding concerning concerning him. So so love Jesus. The danger is we try and put something programmatic, systematic. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's loving him from the heart. It's organic. Love it. Love it. And those relational connections make such a difference as well. And let me thank our team. Uh, Mara Martinez has been on the phones. Uh, We've got Karen Hendren who's our producer, Courtney Young, as always, doing a great job on the uh, engineering. Uh, And thank Andy Patterson for joining me today as well. Tune in next week. We're going to head towards American Thanksgiving. I have to say American Thanksgiving because it's not the same time around the world. But Ron Hutchcraft, an old friend, will join me to talk about how the powerful, simple act of thankfulness can be so transforming in our lives. Here today's program again. You can find it at edsetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. You can also connect with us through all social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ed Stetzer Live. Follow, see what's coming up next. And remember, 
That Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio. Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live.